Good morning. How y'all doing? Come on, this is 1045. This is the sleeping room. How y'all doing? That's right. Yes, that's what I'm here. That also helps me because uh, I got to get through a little bit more coffee, but you guys will keep me going. My name is Pastor Joey. I am one of the many pastors here on staff, and so it's my honor and privilege to uh, spend this morning with you in the Word. If you guys can, open up your Bibles to John. We are back in the John series, um, and we're going to... Did somebody say yay? That's awesome. Um, we are in John chapter 7. Uh, we'll be working out of that text primarily. Um, and as you're turning there, um, I just want to remind you, the series, the reason why we chose this is great, because this is about the most important relationship you'll ever have, and that's the one with your creator. And so the series title is John, That You May Believe. I'm going to open with this Bible verse, kind of like the reason, the, the overarching reason uh, that we do this particular passage. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's all you really need to know about the, the book of John, right? That we can all go home. Um, but this is the, the part that you have to say uh, to yourself. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And so you have to ask yourself, why are we studying this text and why the word Messiah? Well, you have to understand that Jesus came to us because we needed rescuing. And what we're going to do is that as we dive through this text is we're going to understand why we needed rescuing and what we needed rescuing from. And so that part where it says to believe, that you may believe, believe in what? But not only believe in the Messiah, but believe in all of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is not a la carte. You can't pick and choose the parts of Jesus that comes to you and the parts that you like and the parts that work for you. The reason why you've been rescued from a life of sin and the reason why you've been rescued from hell is because Messiah who's described as an all-consuming fire, has come to consume your entire life. And then also by consuming it, save it. And that's where we kind of move to that place where that's kind of an exciting news, right? Like me, the sinner, could be approached by this glorious being in heaven who created me, gave me life, breathed his breath into me, gave me a destiny, wants to spend eternity with me, and then I get to know him, and guess what? I'm saved. But this is also a crazy moment because the moment that you get filled with that fervor, you also have this moment in your walk, in your Christianity. You find out not everybody's as excited as you. That's almost like a soul-crushing and heartbreaking day for a Christian, that not everybody wants to do cartwheels and just run in the fields with Jesus all day. That can be crazy, and you have to ask yourself, why? Why do they not want to be saved? Why do they not want to be comforted by Christ? You know, what, is, what does God want to do but anything but just provide eternity for them? Why would you fight that? And uh, he's calling people, but for whatever reason, they're rejecting it. And today we're going to talk about those difficulties that they have with Jesus Christ as Messiah. And I'm going to let you know, I am so excited to read verse by verse, you know, going through the scripture. That's the most exciting thing. It took me six times reading through the scripture before I could get a sermon out of it. And on the seventh time, I will tell you this, I said, Lord, what is what is it I'm missing? And he goes, because you're looking for something that might not be there. You have barriers of your own. You're looking for a specific sermon. And I'm preaching a sermon. You're not listening. And I went, okay, I'll listen. And then he revealed six different uh, barriers, or you could even say this way, excuses that we have to believe in Christ as Messiah. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the people of Israel, a lot of opinions. We know about opinions, right? There's a lot of statements about opinions. A lot of people with their version of what Jesus should be and what God should do. Um, so that's kind of the situation. I want to remind you, 
because we were in the relationship series and we, were, we stopped at chapter six. Chapter six started like this. Jesus blessed everybody with fish chalupas and everyone went, yay, that's the Jesus I love. And then he walked in water and you're like, he's amazing. And then he started talking to them about what their problems were individually. And he, they said, nope, that's enough, Jesus, I'm out. That's one chapter. Now we are picking up in chapter seven and this is where we find Jesus. He's gonna be, just so you guys know for the background, he's gonna be going to the festival of the tabernacles. Now, some of your translations might be the Feast of Booths, which is more like a harvest festival. And so just so you guys know, this is a memorial to the time when the people in the book of Exodus, the Jewish forefathers, left Egypt, went through the wilderness, and God provided for all their needs. So before they could move into the promised land, this is their, mem- their, uh, their celebration of that moment. And uh, so they're just being reminded that that one time they were refugees. Now they're no longer refugees. They're the people of Israel that live in the land of Israel. And I actually got to see this firsthand. I went to, um, to a Miami Hurricane game. Anybody? Are oh, there some? Yeah, there's some. Yes, God bless them. Um, sorry, we'll pray for the rest after. But this is what happened. I was on my way to the game. And in Coral Gables, there's all these people on the way to the stadium. This is back to the old Orange Bowl with million-dollar mansions. And it was a Jewish community, and you would see these people with these million-dollar mansions, and they would be building tents outside of their house. And this is what the people at the time of Jesus' time were doing. And today, they go out into their lawn, and they build these tents, and they poke holes in the roof, whether it's with thatch or sticks like they did in Jesus' time, or maybe just some kind of fabric tent. And they would lay in, in, uh, in this tent and look up at the stars at night to be reminded of that's how the Lord protected the people as they moved through the wilderness. And they still honor that today. Now, the atmosphere that Jesus is entering into, just so you guys can know, is this, is that this is a great turning point in the book of John. We go from chapter 6, miracles and awe, and now they're kind of done with Jesus because he, he spoke a very hard service about their accountability and their responsibility. And now we're going to move from miracles to the first whispers of murder. This is the first time you're going to hear it. So Jesus, from this point on, has about six months to live. So he's 33 years old. He's about three years into his ministry. And John focuses on this because there's an important thing you have to understand. This is a very, uh, uh, very festivist time for, for the Jewish people. But Jesus is going to remain in the north. And remaining in the north is like, not, is like ignoring uh, New York City. Everybody's going to New York City. Everybody's going to the bright lights. Everybody's going to celebrate. But Jesus is just hanging out in, in Micah and Grant. And you're like, but you are the, you are the Savior. You're, you're going to go wow the people, right? And he goes, not my timing, God's timing. And so by faith and obedience, he would stay up there. And that's, you can see, where people are challenging him privately and publicly. Because privately, he doesn't do what they want. Publicly, he doesn't do what they want. And uh, that's what we're going to see is we're going to see as we see Jesus deal with the excuses and the barriers of people's belief in him as a Messiah, he's also going to show you faith and obedience. So there's two kind of like undercurrents of the teaching that are going there, one being faith and one being obedience. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see a challenge to go, Jesus, go, go for success. And Jesus would say, I'm not going to do anything without the say-so of my Lord. And that as us as Christians, Christ-like Christ followers, we would want to do that because you could go into any battle, you could go into any crisis and have any kind of nominal success, and it still would mean nothing if you don't have Jesus. It means nothing if you don't have the Lord, and that's what Jesus is bringing to this, and I want to let you know, the moment that Jesus Christ went to the cross, his disciples said, oh, he failed. Or his people said, look at him. I thought he was going to be the one, but he wasn't. But because of his faith and obedience on the cross, what was the fruit of being the, uh, following God's will? 
all of us in this room today. If you count Jesus Christ as your Messiah, the fruit that Jesus got from his faith and obedience, remember, I, 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 I don't even want to go to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. This is what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. But he said, Lord, if, if it's your will. And by faith and obedience, he went forth. So guess what? That could look like a failure to the world, but it was a success in heaven because we're all going to enjoy a great, great big party when we see him for the first time, right? So we're going to look first at the opinions of people uh, and, and a private conversation. So we're going to go to John chapter 7, verse 1. Join me there. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because that's where Jerusalem is because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Good reason not to go, right? But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so the disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure and act, or, sorry, no one wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that amazing? They're goading him to go, but they don't believe in him. And you have to ask yourself, why does Jesus not go? Well, if he goes early to this feast, he will be killed. And it's not his time to be killed on this stage at this time. And I just want to understand that there's a lot of prophecy involved. Obviously, he has to fulfill. But truthfully, what he's showing us is it doesn't really matter what we see as success or even what his brothers see as success. It matters what he, the Lord sees as success. And so he has a perfect plan. But I want to let you know, for anybody that's been struggling uh, with family, family is the litmus test of your walk with the Lord. Maybe your whole walk, maybe from birth going forward. So I want to let you know um, I had the privilege, and I kind of understand this. I asked my brother and my mom to come to service a couple of weeks ago. And my mom, you know, she loves her boy, so she's like rooting me on. She's cheering me on. That's what moms do. They're great. I look over at my brother, and I'm making eye contact with him in the service, and I'm like, yeah, your brother's up here, right? It's beautiful, right? And I see him scribbling things, and I'm like, wow, I must be really preaching really good because my own brother is writing stuff, and that, that pencil looks like it's going to catch on fire. After service, I go and I see him, and I'm like, so what do you think? It's a, it's a blessing to sit under your brother's teaching, isn't it? And he just kind of looked at me like, with this deadpan face, and I was like, huh. Well, I know he was taking a lot of notes, and I leaned over and looked at his notes, and they said, this is really weird. <laughs> and I was like, at first I was a little offended. I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the word. This is for you. And then I thought about it. I'm like, my brother's seen me at my worst. My brother's seen me in the morning before coffee. So he knows that it must be a special message from the Lord. It's not the messenger, right? And it's like, he's seen when mom and dad had to come pick up my messes that's who my brother saw. And so you have to question, it's like, he might not see the way success looks like to the Lord, but really, I am a model of success because I'm not up here by my own power. Anything that is good that is coming in me flows from the Holy Spirit, comes on me by the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's no mystery and aura to it for my brother. So he has to receive the message only if it is by the truth of the Lord that he can match up with the word. And that's what Jesus has been doing from the beginning. He says, I am not coming on my own. And his own brothers are struggling with that. And you could just say, well, maybe they were just sick and tired of like defending him. Like, I know Jesus is awesome. I know he raised people from the dead, but he's, he's all over here in these podunk villages. He needs to go out in the big time so we can claim him as a brother. Maybe we'll get some discounts at Dunkin' Donuts or something. Like, maybe we can get something out of this. But they didn't even believe. And that brings us to our first barrier. Our first barrier can be this we can become too familiar with Jesus. Or maybe we take him for granted. Let me explain that. 
You could have all the knowledge in the world about Jesus. You could beat every single one of us at Bible trivia. That's not going to get you to heaven. You could be born into a Christian family. That's not going to get you into heaven. You could come here and do like I do. I love waving the glow sticks at Christmas Eve and singing all the Christmas songs. That's not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that's going to get me to heaven is if Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. Personally. And so you have to ask yourself, is Jesus my Lord and Savior? Here's a really good litmus test for yourself. Here's the acid test, right? Do you trust Jesus with your life? Your entire life. Here's another one. Do you trust Jesus Christ with your death? That's a challenge, isn't it? When Even when you think of things like, yeah, if it's like a thousand years from now, right? You know, and I, and I just die peacefully in my sleep. But what if he doesn't? What if he calls you to, to go on a mission trip and you die there? What if you die in a car wreck or anything? It doesn't matter. Is he still Lord? Yes. Now let me ask you this. Do you trust him with your internal joy and maybe all the suffering that might happen in this life? If the answer is yes, then he is your Messiah. And you know why? Because with awe and reverence, you work out this, it's not my life, it's yours. And it belongs to you. How do I know? He purchased it on the cross. So it's no longer my life. So I, I lay down my life for him because it's the one that he purchases. And I go, do, Lord, do more than what I could do. Because the only thing I've done is make it into a mess. A terrible, terrible mess. But you know what you've done? You've saved me and you've made me an instrument. How do we know? Look at my brother. He didn't even want to sit under this sermon. He was just like, this is weird. But the rest is the Holy Spirit. The rest is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Therefore, Jesus told them. Anytime Jesus, the verse says, therefore, get ready. Therefore, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. That's kind of a little bit of a dig, isn't it? I'm waiting on God. You just do whatever you want to do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that the works that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going to the festival because my time is not yet fully come. And after this, he said this, he stayed in Galilee. So his brother, uh, to his brothers, he's basically saying, you know what, you're not really relying on God. You're not really seeing who I am. You're not seeing the work of the Messiah. What you're seeing is you need to go check off a box, you know, for a religious uh, experience. Please go. Please go. And uh, you could say this, you don't, I can't go because I challenge everybody. The moment I show up on a scene, Jesus Christ challenges everybody. I will go and I will challenge the sinners. But really you trying to goad me to go before my time is you like, you're missing the point. You're totally missing what God's doing for you. And then I would say this, the world loves good people. The world even loves saints if they don't challenge them. A good person will make you feel really good to be around. But why would they hate? See, Jesus is more than good. He's perfect, isn't he? Why would the world hate a perfect person? Because a perfect person will bring into sharp focus how far you've fallen. All the flaws, all the failures come into really right up to the front. And you can see inside of Jesus Christ not just what is good, but what you are missing. Because it, it, we say this a lot in the youth ministry, it's easy to hide when everybody's junk is busted. I'm a broken sinner. You're a broken sinner. Guess what? If that's the test, then I guess we're doing okay. Because you got your stuff and I got my stuff and maybe eventually we'll get over it. But then Jesus walks in the room. And immediately I know what I need. Immediately I know what I'm missing. Immediately I know, need to know where I need to go is by following this guy. And it's to say this, holiness will always challenge, challenge sinfulness. Purity will defy dirtiness. He used this word, hates me. 
The world hates me. Why would they hate him? Because for you to have good news, there has to be bad news. And this is the bad news. If he walks into this festival, you are sick with sin, and I'm the cure. Jesus was never content with letting people go on living their life in sin, was he? Just think about the rich young ruler. He didn't go, hey, by the way, if you can work that out, if you ever get around to it, he knows, sell your stuff and follow me today because your idol, your God is your stuff today. And the guy was not willing to decide. Why? Because he wasn't ready. Jesus did not stop confronting him. Jesus went, went forward. And with familiarity, I love you, Jesus. I love your ministry, but I'm not willing to follow. Keeps Jesus at arm's length, doesn't it? Because we like to play nice, we like to pat him on the head, we don't like to do the dirty work that he says to go home, rip out the sin of our heart, and give it to him, nail it to the cross daily. And that's why everybody is looking at him in a different way than they should, because they don't realize the work that he's doing internally. So we're going to move from Jesus' brothers now to the Jewish leaders. Look at verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, but not publicly, but in secret, Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus, asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. And others said, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Which kind of brings us to this extreme point here, the second barrier to belief or excuse to belief, already blind and deaf to the truth. Blind or deaf to truth. I would say it this way. How could you ever give God an honest chance if you will never give him an honest audience? Maybe you have already made up your mind who Jesus is. He is the judger and he's punishing you. We were walking around, I was walking around with Pastor Ramon over in um, Felsmere. I had a hankering for tacos and I was like, we got to go to this place. I got to get some good tacos. So we head over there and there was this lady standing next to me and she had this angry, angry face. And I looked over at her and I said, what's going on, ma'am? Is everything all right? And her opening line to two pastors, she didn't know we were pastors, was, uh, you know what? I know Jesus is real, but he ain't with me. And I was like, well, you are in luck because I'm about to have tacos. <laughs> and Jesus has provided greatly today. So we spoke to her. She spoke a little bit of Spanish. She spoke a little bit of English. Happened to be Pastor Ramon speaks Spanish. God provides uniquely for the situation. And she specifically said to us in this moment, she had already made up her mind about Jesus. She said these words, I know that Jesus doesn't love me because I'm broken and I'm dirty. And I said, why would he go to the cross? He went to the cross for everyone but me. But really what the truth of the matter was is she had made up her mind about who he was. She refused to listen to who he actually was. How can you give God an honest chance if you've never given him an honest audience? You come in with your prejudices, your premeditated arguments, and you've resolved this, my mind is shut, my ears are closed. Really what you're saying to the Lord is my heart is dead and I don't need a Messiah. I don't need a Messiah. But I just want you to think about this. How deep is Jesus' power? I mean, if you could describe it to yourself, you don't have to describe it to me. If you just think, how deep does his power go? Do you even know? How, how deep is his love? The Bible says we could swim in it forever and never hit the bottom. And yet this infinite God leaves heaven, comes to us, and we're just finite creatures. And let me tell you, I'm a finite creature. I've never not burned the popcorn. I make mistakes. I make terrible failures in judgment, right? I tripped over a parking space 
on the way here to church. I was like, a, I, and then I played it off. I like, you know how when you trip over something and you play it off and you walk like I meant to do that? And now I'm going to be the one, this finite creature that makes mistakes, I'm going to tell a perfect God how to run their universe. Stand before him in my judgment and tell him, yes, I burn popcorn, but I know better than you. That's ridiculous because I've made up my mind that I'm a better God than he is at some point. And that's what Jesus is addressing. Look at this also too, verse 13. They also said, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Why? Because they didn't want to come down if he was a good man or bad man. They were waiting for the leaders to make the decision. You know, some people are like, I really like this Jesus. He's doing good things. What do the Jewish leaders say? Well, I can't publicly, I really want to put it on Facebook, but I, gotta, I don't know what the Pharisees are saying yet. But just think about this. They were so excited when he was feeding the hungry, weren't they? They were so excited when they was raising up like people that haven't walked for all their entire life or blind people or dead people, right? That's the Jesus I like. That's my Messiah, right? But the moment he turned from their outward problems to their inward problems, they were like, I don't really like this Jesus that much. You can keep your Messiah. It switched in one chapter. So you could say this, Lord, you're good enough to fix my problems, but spiritually, I don't need you. How does that work? How do you, how do you even... How do you even save this soul or fix this heart so that it can last for forever in heaven? I don't know, but Jesus does. And so the world just definitely doesn't like to be told how to live, doesn't it? But Jesus didn't come to convince the entire crowd. He just came to convince your heart. The public, court of public opinion does not matter to Jesus Christ one bit if he saves your soul. He will leave the 99 to find the one. Which brings us to the third barrier to belief, the inability to decide and commit to Jesus. The inability to decide and commit to Jesus. So if Jesus really is this Messiah, is Jesus your Messiah? And what did he need to save you from? You. This is why the inability, inability to commit is ridiculous, because no matter what debate you're having with anybody, sometime you're going to have to decide. Right? At some point, even in elections, even in argument with spouses, at some point we're going to have to decide because the facts are going to come out and we're going to have to commit. Every conversation comes to a committing uh, point, right? But just think about this. Did Jesus commit to you? Publicly. Beaten, naked, hung publicly on a cross, bearing your shame. Did he publicly declare how he felt about you? Is it unfair for him to publicly ask the same? And so that's why you say there is no half-stepping in here. There is no salvation up on a fence. There's only one side or the other. And that's why Jesus said, choose this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve you? Are you going to serve this world? Or are you going to serve him? And that's what he's challenging. So just to recap, so far we've had three barriers. One is too familiar to, to, to have faith or blind to the truth or the inability to decide to commit to Jesus. Which brings me to a really funny point. If you got your text messages this week, this is for you. So I watch a lot of documentaries, um, and I was watching a documentary about a presidential debate in the 1800s, and they're going at it. You're not good for this country. You're the worst. You know, you can't even tie your shoelaces without tripping and falling. You know, this is mudslinging left and right. And one guy went to the other guy and goes, and you are a mugwump. And the whole place got silent. And that was the one that broke him. The mugwump. And I was like, what is this word, mugwump? Like, if somebody called me a mugwump, I would laugh and walk away. But this destroyed a presidential debate. And here is the word. After I spent the whole night studying it. 
a mugwump, aloof to the participation to the truth. That means the truth exists, but you don't care. I'm not participating. There's on one side of the fence mugs, and the other side there's wumps. So there's lies, and then there's truth. But you are a mugwump. Now, I'm going to give you the benefit with a cheat on the, on the screen there. Will there be any mugwumps in heaven? No, because everybody there will have decided that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Amen? But what's more importantly is that Jesus was not a mugwump. He decided specifically he wanted you, came to this earth, and died for you. And when he sees you walk through the gates of heaven, he will be excited because he knows the choices that were made. There will be no mugwumps in heaven. And now you can know if you're a mugwump or not. Work that out on your own. That's a crazy word though, right? Mugwump, I love that word. It's fun to say. Verse 14, so this is where he goes into the festival. Before we get into verse 14, he goes to the festival. Uh, he skips all the feasts. He skips all the festivities. And he goes to this portion where in the festival they open up the temple and all these theologians show up. And so these are like all the rabbis. These are the best of the best rabbis show up. And these are the people, everyone gets excited. Oh, I love this rabbi. I have his poster. I have all his books. I hope he signs my book. And so they rush to that place. And Jesus walks right in with these super theologians, sits down and starts teaching. And this gets very interesting because we're now moving from private conversation to public. And it says, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? I want to show you what they're saying by what they're not saying. They definitely didn't challenge what he said, did they? They didn't challenge if it was truth or not. They didn't even say if, you know, like, if he hit them right in the heart. What they challenged was his credentials. And by challenging his credentials, they were refusing to do what he asked them to do. So that's where we come to this fourth barrier, not having the will to do God's will. You acknowledge that he is the Lord. You acknowledge that he's in charge. I don't have the will to do what he wants us to do. And that's why you could say this, do I trust God with all the results of my life? Do I trust God with all the results of following him? It's going to cost you. And so people don't see because they don't believe. And this is, so you guys know, this has nothing to do with education. This isn't like, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. This is about willful disobedience. It's too hard to follow the Lord, or the Lord is not with me. But you can see that what the Lord is doing is he's about to destroy the excuses for you to not follow the heart of a Messiah from here to heaven. Because there are reasons why the Lord had to come to us. Because we have a lot of barriers up. And I want you to see how he attacks the people that attack his credentials. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I will speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who has sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Not one of you. Why are you trying to kill me? That's kind of a crazy way to answer somebody back, right? So basically, I want to let you know what he's doing. He's going to give you his theological qualifications. Are you ready? Jesus basically just said this back to them. Do you know where I graduated from? Theological Seminary of Heaven. Do any of you have that degree hanging up in your office at home? No? Okay, good. Let me move on. I did my thesis work on the creation of heaven and earth with God while he was creating it. Do any of you have that qualification? 
It's starting to sound like the book of Job, isn't it? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, did I need your help when I was inventing everything? Nope. And that's what Christ is hitting at. He's saying right now, you are disqualifying me, not based on my actual credentials, but on how uncomfortable I make you feel when I hit you right in the sin. Right in the death. And so Jesus is saying, everything I did, I did at God's command. But just think about this. Here's what he said at the back end. I gave you 10 commandments. 10. And you failed. I invented heaven and earth, but you couldn't handle 10 commandments. Not one. And you know what? You are not morally capable of judging me at all, is what he said. And as you know, Jesus is at the model of the Christian life. Why? Because he's God-centered. Every time he, when he addressed their sin here, he's saying every time you sinned, you sinned with you at the center. You can't blame culture. You can't blame your crisis. You can't blame your upbringing or heritage. You can't blame anything but yourself. Every time you sinned, it was you. And you couldn't handle that. And you come to me asking about my credentials. What about your credentials? And so he's saying this, I will remain faithful. I just want you to think about this. This is the same Jesus that would go to a chosen nation, a nation that would reject him. Disciples who would question him, disciples that would abandon him. To bear a punishment and a shame that wasn't his own on the cross. Why? So that through his faithfulness and obedience, you could see how much he loved you, but how much he wanted you to be a part of his plan. And look at the people's response. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered, verse 20. Who's trying to kill you? So basically, they're calling him cuckoo. They're like, you're crazy. What in the world? Who's trying to kill you? Now, for anybody that's joining us on our Wednesday night uh, Exodus Bible study, they're already breaking one of the commandments just in this conversation. Uh, what's the sixth commandment? Does anybody know? This is a Bible trivia. No, thou shalt not kill. Kill, right? What are they doing behind closed doors? How do we get rid of this guy? How do we murder him? Now, you can imagine this moment when he's saying about the commandments and the laws of the Lord. What is he doing? You can see it like a movie. Imagine Jesus looking. You're not my Pharisee, but you're my Pharisee. What if he's just like, you guys can't even keep the commandments? And he just holds the gaze of the guy that may even be the ringleader. Let's murder Jesus. And he's like, you can't even do it. You can't even do it. You couldn't even trust one of the commandments. How am I supposed to trust you with more? How am I supposed to give you more truth? Because you can't do it. Because you are not morally capable. And that's what he's saying. You, how dare you judge my teachings? How dare you judge me? Look at verse 21. Jesus, by the way, this is sassy Jesus. He ain't done yet. And if you question me saying sassy Jesus, it's in the scripture. Look how he talks back to them. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. They wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted to do as long as they checked the religious boxes. And this is what the Lord is saying, and this is what Jesus is getting at. Circumcision is a huge deal in Jewish culture. So is the Sabbath. But if you wanted to do like which one weighted heavier, circumcision did. So much so that I actually looked this up in Jewish lore, and I don't know if this is actually true in any of the, of the Old Testament scripture that we see. We don't have anything to pull out of there, but Abraham will be checking circumcisions at the door in heaven. That's what they believe. So on the eighth day, they race to bring their boys to get a circumcision so that they make sure that they are holy. 
even if that eighth day is the Sabbath, which we all know in Jewish culture, you're not supposed to work. What Jesus is actually hitting them with is double right here. When, the, when a boy gets circumcised at this age, he'll actually get sick for a little period of time. Like, not really bad. He's not life-threatening, but he will get sick. And this is what he's saying. You'll make a boy sick for a little bit on the Sabbath so that you keep your laws. Not my laws, your laws. So that you feel good about yourself. But I make a man whole in body and in soul, and he gets to spend eternity with me forever, and you will judge me for that. You didn't even see what was going on inside of his heart. You don't see the hell that he was bound for. I did. And I'm going to ask you this. If it was you, broken in body and broken in spirit, would you care if Jesus healed you on a Sunday or a Saturday or whatever day? You could care less. Praise Jesus, the Sabbath came to me, Jesus Christ, and now I can rest in him. And that's what he's doing. He's exposing their hypocrisy. He's saying, I healed a man on the Sabbath and you guys went bananas. But really what he's saying is this, is you're not really up for this life of faith and obedience, are you? You're afraid of it. And you're using it as an excuse to not walk in obedience. But this is what the Lord is also saying. Most of these truths will not manifest and become real to you unless you experience them. Let me give you the case in point. I spoke to an orphan one time in a foreign country and he saw many American movies about orphans who eventually get a family. I don't know why they showed these movies in the orphanage, but they did. And it gave this kid hope. And I said, have you ever experienced a mother's love? And he said, no, but I really look forward to it. And I said, well, how do you know it's real? He goes, I know it's real. I go, do you know what it feels like? And he said, no, but I'll know when I feel it. The fact of the matter is that sometimes when I'm doing counseling with people in addiction, you can see the love of Jesus Christ either pull somebody in or repel them. It'll be in this moment. I counseled this one guy one time, completely drug, drug addicted, couldn't go 10 seconds without like, like fidgeting and freaking out about what his next drug was coming from. And we prayed the sinner's prayer. And he looked up at me and it was like, you could see a light break there. And he goes, this is everything I've ever needed, this. I know what I've been covering up. I know what I've been running from. I know what I need. This, and he never went back. Cold turkey that day. Miraculous. But why? Because he was able to receive one truth, and then he was able to receive the next truth. And Jesus is saying, if I give you one commandment and you fail on that, what am I going to do if I give you nine more? What if I give you a hundred more? You can't even do the one. But if I give you one and you receive it, guess what? I will reveal my truth in that one. And when you receive it and walk in and feel it, you will have freedom and power that you've never had because you've never had me. But now that you know more about me, you will want more. And he's saying, you are judging me based on a judgment that is caught up in your sin, which brings us to our sixth, or sorry, fifth barrier, judging others harsher than yourself. Judging others harsher than yourself. Just so you can hear what he's saying in here, he's saying, you need to start looking inward. The religious outward work is nothing. It's the inward. You're whitewashed tombs. On the surface, you look great, but on the inside, you're dead. So if you come in here, I don't want your religious sacrifices. I don't want your religious ceremony. What I want is your obedience. Because if you do this and do well, and that has been me, I have done well in the name of Jesus Christ, but not believed and not trusted and not followed, but did a really great job of raising my hands during worship. And I'm not challenging anybody that does that. I've done a really good job of bringing three different colored highlighters and highlighting my Bible so everybody can see the different many colors, looking like a Christmas tree. Oh, he must be so holy, but I didn't do anything those words said. God would basically come to me and he would come to these people and say, you are a religious dog and pony show. 
And I want to let you know what that looks like. Look at the critique of the people. You're a miracle worker, right? He blesses people. He heals people. He gives them fish chalupas. He does it all. I don't like what day you did it. Excuse me? The guy that was lame and walking out, forgiven from all of his sins and going to heaven, he could care less. I don't like what day you did it. There's been silence from God for many, many years. And then Jesus Christ leaves heaven and comes and speaks with you. I need to hear from God. Boom, Jesus. I don't like your messenger. But me, full of failure, full of mistake, full of sin, full of brokenness, can look at God and go, I think I'm a better judge than you. Right now, God, I can see him being so not impressed with them and so not impressed with me. And he would say this, if, if you were well, why did I come to you? If we were so okay, why did Christ have to come and save us? Look at verse, the next verse. It says, at some point, the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Do you remember verse 20? Who's trying to kill you, crazy? Then in verse five, 25, what do they say? Isn't this the guy that everybody's trying to kill? They can't even keep up with their own story. Look at, here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man is from, and when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. And then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. And I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he had sent me. Verse 30, and they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. And still many in the crowd believed, and they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? And so this comes down to blatant refusal. And this comes to our last barrier or excuse to belief, a refusal to know Christ or a refusal to know Christ more intimately. You know why? Because he's not the Christ that I want or need. He's not the Christ that's beaten up the Romans. He's not the Christ that's letting me win the lottery. He's not the Christ that I want. So therefore, he's not Christ. But if God is trying to meet you with you, you have to ask yourself, is part of the reason he's trying to meet with you is to change your perspective, to get you to see what you've never seen, to maybe for you to see with eternal eyes and to see with heavenly eyes and to see the glory of God that you've been missing. And so we've been putting up barriers. Christ came to smash them. And there are barriers. And so I'm just going to remind you, just four, five, and six real quick. Real quick, It says, not having the will to do God's will, judging others harsher than I judge myself, and refusing to know Christ. You know, this sounds a lot like self-worship, doesn't it? I'm a better God than you are. You know who said that? Lucifer. He sat there with all the knowledge of, of that everything in the world. You could sit at the throne of heaven. You could lead the choir of angels, right? And you would say, I don't have the will to do God's will. I refuse to know this God any deeper than I know him now. All I know is that I know better than him. I had a friend who was in the Coast Guard, and his father passed away from COVID. And I remember we were talking, and he was saying to me, you know, I really, I'm I'm out. His dad was a pastor. I'm leaving the church. I refuse to pick up a Bible. If God was really loved, then why would he do this? And I just said to him, and this was the Holy Spirit. I didn't even think of this. I just know the Holy Spirit gave it to me. It was like, yeah, that's terrible. But when your dad died, was he in the presence of heaven? And he said, yes. And I said, if your dad died, is, he, is God still God? And he said, yes. And I said, if you died today, would you be in the presence of God? He said, yes. I said, so what's the problem? And he said, I'm just mad. He didn't do what I wanted to do. I'm, a couple weeks later, 
or sorry, a couple months later, I saw him post on Facebook. He said, I'm going for my Coast Guard exam. I'm going to be a leader. And if God is real, I know he'll push me through. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, you went to church with me. We went to youth group together. We served together. And yet you are talking to a God that you're inventing, not the God of the Bible. It's the God that does what you want him to do. And yet the Lord would say to me, Yo, Joey, I came to you to protect you from you, to save you from you, from your sin, not somebody else's sin, your sin. And so I have to show you what I have to save you. And so I have to be your Messiah, which means you have to stop looking for things that you need and looking for things that I need because I am God. And I just think about maybe my friend in the Coast Guard standing before God and the Lord saying to him, yeah, you did great things in my name, but depart from me, I never knew you. Because he refused to actually know that Jesus. I want to put on the screen for you chapter seven of Matthew to see how that fully plays out as Jesus saying it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name and do day of compassion together and put cans in the one can you can bin out together? And didn't we lay hands on people together? And then Jesus, verse 23 says, and then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Um, I'm challenged by this because I can get really busy doing the good work of church, can't we all? I can be busy being a good person, but do I know Jesus? And do I let him come inside me and do the work that he needs to do? And the only way that I can do that, to trust him, to really trust him with my heart and soul is to do this, is to get to know them. And how do I get to know him? Spending time with him. Listening instead of talking. That's my problem. Should probably put some super glue over my mouth when I sit with the Lord. Doing and obeying. You know, this is a really fantastic summary to the New Testament. You know, Jesus' brothers, all of them came to believe, even some to the point of death. And James, especially in James 3, would, be, would go on to say, Now I believe because he was so amazing, because he was the Messiah. He wasn't my brother, he was more than that. And so I want to put up this last slide before we pray. We're going to go back through the barriers, but we're going to look at it from a positive light. This is how James could become the follower of Jesus that he was. First, you need to prepare yourself to the presence of God. If Jesus Christ is the pursuer of your soul, be ready for him to show up. If Jesus Christ is the shepherd that would leave the 99 to find the one, you could be the one that he's hunting down. Be ready. And be ready to listen. Don't talk to him. Just be ready to listen. You can share your heart, but then be ready to listen. And then be ready to decide. Make a commitment to him. Be ready to follow. Start working on yourself. Stop judging everybody else and say, Lord, what do I need working on? How can I get closer to you? And then finally, which is the most sweet one, get ready to know Jesus intimately. Sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. I want you to let you know this is the Jesus Christ that you serve and this is the one you get to, to know intimately. Christ died in a way that God chose, at a time that God chose, in a way that God chose, so that he could be resurrected in a time and place and in a way that God chose, so that you could be raised to life in a way that he picked. You serve a powerful God who does amazing miracles by mere fact that the king of heaven came to visit you and live in your sinful heart. That's a miracle. And I want to let you know, sometimes I think about this, the only thing that I bring to my relationship to this God is my faithfulness and my obedience or my disobedience and my disbelief. That's it. 
He brings everything, I bring that. And I want you to know one day, by grace, if you stand before the Lord in faithfulness and obedience, Jesus Christ will look at you and not say, depart from me, I never knew you. As you know him intimately, he will say to you, come closer, good and faithful servant. Come closer. Can you imagine how that first hug is going to feel? That's an amazing thought. Don't you want to know that, Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you and I just praise you for the people that are here in this room that we have victory in Christ. Victory from sin, victory from death, victory from hell because you are on mission for us. And yet we have set barriers, we have ignorance, we have excuses and you will obliterate all of them. And you'll do it just by being loving and gentle and compassionate and leaning into us. But Lord, it's time for us to make a commitment. It's time for us to make a decision. Are you the Christ? And if you are, then I lay down my life to you. I'm to be saved by you. I'm to be taken care and comforted by you. I'm to be lifted up to heavenly places only by your power and by your name. That is who I am. And I'm just going to do this in a moment. If there's nobody looking around, eyes closed and heads bowed. If you need to make a commitment to that Jesus Christ today, it's time for you to get off the fence and make that decision. Please raise your hand. And if you even need to make a recommitment to the Lord, you can do that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray and make that decision right now. Jesus, Lord, I praise you and I thank you for being the Messiah. I confess my sins to you. I need to be saved by you and I know you are my Savior and I bow my heart to you. Thank you for saving me and I'm ready to walk from here to eternity with you in your loving arms. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.